Welcome to Mixed Company, bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. Welcome back to Mixed Company podcast, everybody. You've got Kai Devereaux Lawson here with my good friend, Simeon. How are you doing, Simeon? Did you give me your full name today? I am giving my full name today. Uh, my full name is Simeon Coker. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's I've been writing my full name a lot these days, and so like it's it's top of mind that that is who I am. Shout out to Sonia for for putting her uh, effort into naming her firstborn. Uh, she only had two, and her second was a junior, so she had to make this one good. So, was a junior. Huh? You realize your brother was a junior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a whole junior. He's a whole junior. Um, speaking about juniors or not, because it's not a real uh, transition, we are here for a really informative episode today. I am excited to be a part of this com- um, this conversation. We have a special guest today. We have Stephanie. It's Rickards, right? Or Rikerts? Yeah. It's like not like Rikers Island. Stephanie. <laughs> These are these are real questions for real it's people. Honest, my whole life, Rickards, like Richards with a K. Richards, Rickards with a K. Stephanie Rickards is here, guys. She has done some outstanding research over the last couple of years um, about the Asian communities and historical historical references, concepts, and nuances that a lot of people really haven't discussed publicly, haven't discussed in their communities. And quite frankly, and I think, Stephanie, we might have actually had this conversation a time or two. I don't, I don't think people really discuss, discuss much of the Asian community uh, histor- historical footprint in culture and like how that culture has kind of seeped out and has influenced the world. And I think that there's a level of credit, not only that we need to give to the Asian community, but also need to give to folks like you who have created spaces for research to be done, for knowledge to be shared so that uh, platforms like ours can share it. So Steph, welcome. Welcome to Mixed Company. Thank you. I uh, I feel like you're giving me a lot of credit here, but I um, I appreciate it. So thanks. This is where people come to know how dope they are. We really don't invite <laughs> people to talk uh, on this show that we don't care for. Um, it is our the only safe place we probably have in the world. Um, and so if you're invited here, it's because you're liked. So, so there's that. Perfect. I mean, that's why I came to talk. I came to talk to someone I really like and admire and always like to listen to. So this is exciting for me. And Sim, it's nice to meet you too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if Kai gave you the seal of approval, I will accept it. Um, she, she's really wrong. There are a few people that she knows that I dislike. <laughs> very few, very few, very, very few. And also, I'm, I'm excited for this conversation. I, I don't think I've you know, just kind of looking through your research and seeing like the interesting um, data that you have here. Um, I haven't been exposed to a lot of data about the Asian community. And I think we're in a space and in time where we need to hear this uh, because a lot of the perception that people have around Asians is based in stereotypes. So I think this will give some clarity and also just align us in the fight against the bullshit um, because you know, yep. <laughs> white supremacy is a real problem. It's ongoing. <laughs> I mean, it's a real thing, right? You know, 
you can't claim ignorance when somebody has educated you. And so it's really important to have you on this show today and for us to have this episode live in perpetuity, because once someone has listened to this, if they go through life talking about they didn't know or I wasn't sure, they're a total fucking lie. And like, that's cool if that's how you want to live your life as a liar. But on this show, we are here to educate, inform, to share. And so we're going to learn some things so if you're going to teach us, we're going to ask some questions. We're probably going to learn through things together yeah, um, sure. because we can't, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot happening. We know the advertising industry very well. We saw it with black square, black squares in July. <laughs> okay. People like to jump on board when it's like, let's, let's play activists, but like, we don't play active. I don't want to play an activist. And from, from the work that you've shared, like it's definitely clear, like you don't either. And so if we're going to talk about stopping Asian hate, if we're going to talk about standing in solidarity with our Asian American and Asian identifying brothers and sisters, we can't talk about it unless we get to know them. Um, we say that about Black Lives Matter. We say that when it when it comes to gender. I say it when it comes to talking about the Latinx community. Um, so we are going to stand on our own soapbox, educate the people, tell them the things they need to know. And some things they didn't know they needed to know. Um, and hopefully we can start a longer term conversation um, about what it means to respect our Asian brothers and sisters um, authentically so that we can support them along their journey. Sound good? Sounds good. I'm ready. Let's go. Excited. Awesome. So let's start with one of my favorite segments or my only favorite segment, right? It's dope shit or ain't shit. There has a there is a lot that has gone on in the world in the last uh, few weeks since we since we last um, recorded an episode. Simeon, do you want to get started? Do you have anything? You know, uh, I've been real busy, so I'm not the most prepared, but there. I feel like there, you can talk about you, but go ahead. Oh, we could. I thought I thought about it, but I was like, I'm not going to toot my own horn. <laughs> Um, but I did see an article today. Uh, you know, one of the things, the great things about having this platform is that we get to shout out our friends and and celebrate people, people in our network who do dope shit. And uh, what's today? No, today is the seventh. So this was yesterday. Um, yesterday, in Forbes, <laughs> it was announced that uh, Hennessy partnered with the Marcus Grant Project to launch a one million dollar accelerator fund to champion black entrepreneurs. So if you don't know, um, Marcus, the Marcus Grant project is uh, the baby or the co-baby of Lincoln, Steve, Lincoln Stevens, who is the homie and I've worked with in the last couple of months on Hennessy. Uh, but this accelerator program, obviously it's, it's, it's a part of the efforts to address the uprisings that happened last year, but this was actually um, uh, in the making a little bit before that because it's to it's part of them honoring uh, the Tulsa anniversary of the Greenwood District. Uh, but basically, this accelerator program is going to give out grants in the amount of fifty k uh, to early vent to early ventures. Uh, it's also going to have a physical footprint in the Moet Hennessy offices where you'll have a content studio and a bunch of other educational uh, and. Um, tools that uh, Black business owners can use. So I thought it would be dope to shout it out. Um, Lincoln is always doing dope shit. Uh, so in addition to Marcus Grand Project, he also has Locomotives, which is placing uh, talent of color with agencies um, 
and brands uh, to do the work. Uh, so yeah, that's my dope shit. It's Lincoln Stevens slash Marcus Graham slash Hennessy doing things and doing the work. Absolutely. Uh, and since you're over there working with Lincoln on some Hennessy work, make sure you find out if they're interested in sponsoring any podcasts. Because uh, I'm I'm not a, an avid Hennessy drinker, but I am interested in the Moet part of the brand. And so by all means, just let me know where their interests lie and how, you know, we might be able to help them find said interests. Yeah, That's no, dope. Congratulations a, to Lincoln. As an avid Hennessy drinker, it actually never occurred to me to ask. It never <laughs> occurs to you to ask. And that's why I had to put it out here. I don't, you, we have not because we ask not. Steph, when I tell you my mantra in life is that you have not because you ask not, your first question should always be, what about me? In the most nice and polite way, how to can I support and also benefit? That is how we have to work as just people in general. There are pe- there are people in Long Island that took that 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 experienced COVID in their summer homes while the rest of us suffered in Brooklyn apartments. <laughs> we have not because we ask not. Let's let's stop the violence towards ourselves now. <laughs> you know what? We are entrepreneurs <laughs> this is a business it is, <laughs> it's manifesting it's calling positive stuff in all it's of that very, i'm like it's a very good energy and a vibe for me i like it absolutely also, i want to manifest in front of the people that can make it happen exactly <laughs> This was the ask, and I know somebody who's listening knows Lincoln. So tell Lincoln that I'm going to come and ask for things. Like Moet <laughs> and some Hennessy. Yep, absolutely. No, that's really exciting to hear. Marcus, the Marcus Graham Project has um, has been super impactful in the lives of so many professionals. And to get this level of partnership and recognition from such a, a sought after and revered brand is exactly what they need. Uh, love to see it. Want to see more of it. Right. Um, I will go next. And Steph, you you can nod and wink and let me know if you want to participate in Dope Shit or Ain't Shit. You also don't have to, but I don't. I didn't want to make it weird. No, so you're. I'll, I'll I, found, I found one, so I'm armed. You know? and ready. Okay, yeah. so I'll I'll go I'll go first. I'll set it up, and then I'll tee t- it over to you. So I am happy to share um, some non Chief Diversity Officer appointments of some people of color in this business that are so supreme that I couldn't wait to share on this show. Uh, the first thing that I saw while I was scrolling through um, all of the ad things on my LinkedIn was that uh, Edelman, U.S. CEO, um, uh, the or sorry, Lisa Osborne Ross was named Edelman U.S. CEO as Russell Dubner takes on a global role. There is an entire Black CEO woman in the advertising, marketing, PR space these days as a CEO. And it's interesting because I've been thinking about that for the last few days that, you know, what does it take for for, for women of color and primarily Black women to um, advance into these C-suite roles, but primarily into operating and, ex- and executing roles? Um, because we haven't really heard of that many since 
uh, we had Ann Fudge over at VML, uh, sorry, not VML, YNR, YNR back in the uh, early 2000s. Um, and so since that's been on my mind, maybe that was just the ancestors letting me know that things were things were happening, things were coming to fruition. Um, doesn't matter how people feel about, uh, you know, their experiences at, at Edelman. Doesn't matter necessarily what you may have thought about the PR industry before. it's always really important for us to see progress and there's no better progress than putting a woman of color at the helm of your company. As you know, these C-suite executives are here to sell into bigger clients. They're here to tell the stories, the stories, they get the big contracts that pay all the people that do the work. And so, you know, they're trust, they're putting a lot of trust into Miss Lisa Osborne Ross. I am, I do not know her personally, but I love to see it. I'm here for it. Don't nobody say nothing to me for the next couple of days because there's a black woman leading Edelman U.S. as the CEO. Uh, Secondarily, I thought that was going to be my only dope shit, but it looks like Jason White, uh, who had uh, amazing, uh, who had amazing uh, time at Beats by Dre, as well as at, uh, I believe it is uh, Apple, sorry, Nike, from, he went from Nike to Apple Beats. And I believe he also uh, did some work at Widening Kennedy uh, overseas for a while, I believe in China, actually. Um, he has joined the elite uh, entertainment company that is MTV Music Television, been around since the early 80s um, as, uh, as what is he? Oh, chief marketing officer. That's what it is. I'm reading something with like a shit ton of, a shit ton of words in this headline. Not good PR here, but Jason White joins MTV Entertainment as CMO. That's chief marketing officer. This is a huge move for Jason. Again, love to see people of color in the C-suite. Love to see people of color, um, going into the C-suite, not necessarily in supporting supporting roles or roles like a, a chief diversity officer. And let me be very clear, nothing wrong with being chief diversity officer, but I want to see more people of color in other roles as well. They know how to market a company. They know how to function with logistics and operations. They understand strategy and they most certainly can lead a full business. Um, And so yay and hooray for all of the chief diversity officer roles that are going out there. Um, Little breadcrumbs, I'm sure folks will be talking in the next couple. By the time you hear this, you might be talking uh, additionally to what you're hearing here. But I think it's even more important to see those of us play other roles and see that we are competent enough to play other roles in um, companies and organizations. So shout out to Jason White, shout out to Lisa Osborne Frost, shout out to everybody who's doing their thing, making their moves. I hope you are putting a COVID and a person of color tax when you are negotiating all (laughs) of your contracts because we well and deserve it. And since they're looking for us, baby, ask for the money because you have not when you what, ask not. 
Um, and that's important for everyone uh, to know. Yeah. I hope everybody's asking for their uh, POC tax right now. Absolutely. Because uh, if you ain't where the money resides, how, where are you going to be when the next pandemic hits? Shout out to that man. Because how were we supposed to know where we were supposed to be if he didn't tell us we needed to be where the money resided? I, I just, that that needs to go down in 2020 leading into 2021 history. Where Where does the money reside? That's important to know. When you ask for it. When you ask for it. Steph, what about you? What's going on on your LinkedIn feed, on your social media feed? What do you see happening in the world of dope shit and ain't shit? So, I mean, I probably vaguely misunderstood the assignment, but I do feel like your dope shit set up mine quite well. So oh, great. Um, this wasn't through LinkedIn. Um, and I'm going to, I'll let you know where I heard it at the end. But um, in terms of um, people of color occupying spaces of great, and wonderful power. Um, Gavin Newsom announced Rob Bonta as the next Attorney General of California, and that makes yes. him the Filipino American Attorney General of California. So he mm. succeeds Javier Becerra. Um, it was a pretty competitive field, and it's just a big deal because AG of California is one huge, and two yep. normally means you get to kind of maybe go for higher office. Obviously, Bonta's focused on the work ahead of him, and he's done really great work in California already, but this was a big deal. And when you asked, you know, was this on my LinkedIn? I will say, you know, and we'll, we can, I don't know whether we'll touch on this specifically, but in typical Asian fashion, I heard this through the auntie network, which is my mom texting me and saying, oh, my friend, my friend Rob got nominated. And I was like, oh, that's so great. Your friend. And she's like, well, I only met him once, which if you, <laughs> you know, relatives is, is pretty accurate considering I probably have 42 aunts and uncles, one of whom is probably like a postman of someone else. So I just felt like one, it was a very, uh, Filipino, Asian-American way to find out about it. You heard the news through the auntie network, the text, your mom, but this is a really big deal. I'm really excited about it. Um, and, you know, like to your point, like this is a big, this is a big appointment. This is AG of, you know, California. So it's a big deal. We're very excited for Rob. Right. That is the head, that is the head lawyer in charge right now. And I think that First of all, you uh, you understood the assignment. It's funny you say that. That's the, I, I I saw that on the shade room, right? The, who who understands the assignment all the time? <laughs> Stephanie, you understand the assignment right now. You 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 get two thumbs up for this performance. No, that's exactly what dope shit and name shit is about. What's happening in the world? Perfect. As you know, this industry is it's converged with everything from tech to entertainment to politics these days to the IT network. And you said the IT network. And I was like, you're in my WhatsApp? <laughs> okay. You have you also have your own IT network. There are IT network. The IT network is really where you get the real tea and you get the real understanding. And quite frankly, I believe that it's more truthful than what you'll find on a Twitter. And so I'm glad that's where you heard your news first. No, I mean, aunties are well known for one, spreading news quickly and two, capturing nuance that yes. otherwise goes unreported. So it's always, it's okay. always cool. <laughs> Listen, the, my preferred journalists in the world are all aunties, but I love it. I love to see it. I love to hear it. And we are going to touch on it um, because representation is so, like, I don't know if it's, self-fulfilling prophecy from from this podcast or if it really is just like every day making itself more visible and more um yeah more visible as to why representation 
is so important and why it's important to have people that not only identify with you, but have people who can teach and, and expose other people to other cultures in high offices. California is not no little ass state. And I'm not, and this is no, there's no shade to little ass states, but like, baby, it's not a little state. It is a state comprised of the entire East coast, basically, right? All of all 13 colonies plus California. It's like the same thing. And there, is, there are large populations of immigrants, large populations of first-generation folks from all over the world. And these communities need to see themselves so that they know what is possible for them, but also that, peop- that Filipinos need to be respected too, that Asian, Asian folks need to be respected too and deserve the, the, the praise that and, and uh, accolades and, and lauds, lauds that they deserve. And so... I'm happy to see it. I'm here for, I'm Issa Rae. I'm, I'm rooting for all people of color. I'm rooting, I'm rooting for all people who were once told they couldn't do it before. And so that's important for me to see. You know, even, even in the vein of that, I think it's all, it's representation, but it's also being able to influence the the policies and the laws that go into place. So, you know, to your point, Kai, about, um, you know, these new jobs with uh, Jason and the new CEO of Edelman. Lisa Osborne Rolf. Uh, Lisa Osborne Ross is that they actually get to make the policies and the decisions that influence, you know, the work and the things that we we're going to interact with. So kudos to him. Super dope. Um, I'm here for it. All of it. Um, I'm sure he's going to do dope shit. I feel like I have to add in too, like, as we're talking about this, I'm just like scrolling through the, the, the rundown on New York times, but the way that it kind of amplifies. So son of civil rights activist, Mr. Bonta was born in the Philippines, grew up in Central Valley where his parents, Cynthia and Warren Bonta, helped organize farm workers alongside Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. Yes. Um, And we're talking about like the progress that people make over time. And like, you know, I think we'll get to this later, but like, what did your parents come here to give you or see you do or whatever? It's just exciting to see that his parents were organizers. Now he's the AG like it's a it's big things i like it the the nuance and the insight that he's going to bring to the table is going to be so dope uh and that's that's really you know yes representation but also influence and power Mm, mm, which is actually fantastic transition uh because that's what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about nuance we're going to talk about influence we're going to talk about power we're going to talk about the asian community um, and and uh, AAPI community. And Stephanie, I am super excited to have this conversation on the show. Um, so as I was saying uh, earlier, you know, many of us, unless you have decided to stay off of social media, have not walked to your local convenience store, uh, you've decided that the television is not your friend and you don't have access to an auntie network of sorts, Um, You may or may not have heard that uh, the media has been reporting on an uptick of uh, violence uh, and discrimination toward the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities in the United States. Uh, Many of us attribute this to recent um, lack of uh, leadership that we've had in this country, primarily from the previous administration, uh, and specifically uh, because of the way COVID has been described as an Asian 
population disease, as the China virus, as something that uh, Asian people brought over to America. This is the only time, this is the only time that certain people in this country are not taking credit for coming over and, and doing something in this country that they absolutely had not, like nothing to do with. Like they're not taking claim for this, even though we already know the second wave, which came from the UK was what really infected the US, but whatever, whatever, right? Trump said it was the China virus. The Trump supporters said, yep, that's it. And all people that are Asian are all Chinese. And so they all gave us the virus. And that was completely false and incorrect and despicable information to spread. And so now you got folks out here just mad at a, a, a beautiful community that brings beautiful culture to this country um, from fashion to food to, to luxury to lifestyle to uh spirituality to 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 everything music history everything they bring so much to this country and yet are facing violent backlash and yet it wouldn't be right for us on this podcast for Simeon and I to talk about it from we just gotta you know just throw away all of the races because there comes a point where that's not even the answer like, it's not just about calling people out for their ignorance, but actually starting at ground one, which we did start with this podcast. And let's talk about the education, the miseducation of of what it is to be Asian, Asian American, Pacific Islander in the United States of America. And so because neither Simeon nor I identify at all um, uh, ethnically, culturally, racially with these communities, it was only right for us to bring someone onto the show that A, has expertise, uh, has ex- has experience, um, and has a want to share. So we've got Steph here. Steph, a couple years ago, or maybe it was a year ago, I don't know. I, to me, last year was 2019, so whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> whatever last year the the week before you did a you did a presentation that really impacted me and really made me think more deeply about the asian cultures asian communities um and so i don't want to go too deep into it but i'd like to start off with you sharing who you are what do you do you can choose to name you know where you work or not totally up to you um but then take us through this this research that i keep gloating about so folks can be like can tell me to shut the hell up so now they know what i experienced and then we can ask you questions about it no i love it let's like we'll get we'll get to the talking part cuz i do feel like that's more interesting than me just going on and on but um i'm so happy to be here i love this podcast i'm really excited to talk to you guys um since this is a podcast and and i mean and you know i one, I mean, who presents what way? I don't know. Um, for everyone listening, like I identify as a mixed race woman. I'm half white. I'm half Filipino. Um, and this presentation that Kai's talking about actually came during Asian Pacific American Heritage Month last year. But I think to something that we were talking about before, like when you start to look for you know, places to see people, places to educate yourself, the only reason that I ended up doing this was because I, I joined um, uh, the POC at Essence ERG, and a friend of mine, a Korean friend was, was in it. She said it was great. I joined, I found a community of people who were having conversations, educating themselves, talking about things. And I just thought one, it was really cool. And then two, 2020 being 2020, it sort of brought to light all the unlearning and learning and experiences that we haven't, haven't had and the, the need to kind of 
I don't know, do something about that myself. But I would be lying if it didn't also come about because we were all really hyped about Asian Bay on Insecure. So I think it's really important to kind of interweave that like you can learn. Yeah, that man is joy fine, 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 fine. I can't wait to run into him like in my spirit. I just know it will happen. Yes, oh, Asian oh, I'm Bay. I'm excited for that for you. Ooh, but thank I know. you. You so sweet. <laughs> you um, have I, not because you asked not. <laughs> Ask for it to come in, bring it in. Um, And the reason I say that is just because like, I think to this point, like all that any of us are trying to do is like be seen for who we are. Same thing for our communities. So, you know, on the one hand, I'm trying to unlearn some stuff. On the other hand, I'm enjoying pop culture. And then on the final hand, which is just like, I explain the mixed race thing because I grew up as part of a generation. So my mom was first generation Filipino and her parents told her to assimilate. She doesn't speak any Filipino despite growing up in a really vibrant Filipino community in Vallejo. She can't cook anything Filipino because her parents were like, you go to school, you get A's. She's a lawyer. She was my dad's boss for a little bit at the AG's office. So like that's that was the track that like. Oh, yeah, they do that a lot there. That's what I heard. I don't know. I, I Immigrant parents. And I don't think this is a Filipino thing. Put her on. So in terms of. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is, you know, if there's other communities that like you are identify with, but like, I find that this is a conversation across like any immigrant community where it's like, we fought to get here. Now you just go and do something big and better and education oriented, preferably in law or medicine, which is, you know, maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing. Um, But the whole point being that we were taught not to see color, not to think about our race, not to think about anything kind of like that. You were meant to just kind of go and make your way in the world. And we lived in this bubble in NorCal where it was sort of like, oh, there's no more racism. There's no more anything. Like you guys are all fine and you're free to live as you are. I went to a pilot program for Spanish immersion where Cal California was trying to bring the children from migrant workers into the classrooms so that we could have a cultural exchange. Um, you know, my family is on my brother's side. He's he's married to an African-American woman. My niece and nephew are mixed race. Um, and that all sounds like me trying to credentialize myself. But it was more like this idea that like for the first 30 odd years of my life, it was just a bit of a bubble. And 2020 was just a time where it was like, look, you've lived in this bubble. Like, here's time to focus on and learn some things. And I will say that the POC at Essence group was a really vibrant, amazing community of people both saying like, here's some stuff you need to learn. And also we're just people. Um, that's a really long, I probably shouldn't have talked that long, but this is what happens like halfway through. A no, it's, I think it's perfect because I think a lot of people will identify with that. So Simeon and I identify as first generation American, um, myself coming from Latin American parents. Um, and I think like to me, It's so great to hear you tell that part of the story because what it does for me is it shows a nuance, right? Oftentimes, for lack of a better term, the the terminology BIPOC or or person of color groups all of us together. So you, me, and Simeon, we are all the same because we are not white and we are not men. But the nuance in how we grew up is what you said rang home for me because it's like, yeah, my parents, my family did come here with the expectation that we would do great things. My family did come here with the expectation that, you know, they they hoped God, they were praying sis was going to be a lawyer, but I, I wanted to wear jeans to work. Like, I don't know. That wasn't going to happen. Um, the nuance was I was taught that it was because that I was darker skinned that I had to work harder so that I could keep up with everyone else. So, see the color and recognize that that is the, that is the motivation 
to work harder as opposed to we don't see color and just keep moving. So there's a nuance in that, but also the messaging is very, very, very similar. Yeah, I mean, even as you're talking, I, I found a lot of similarities in just the way that you position it, because I feel like that is the way that my father spoke to me, um, where it wasn't about color. It was it. And I think it also has to do with the fact that he's Nigerian and where he comes from. There is no technically no race like everybody's black. Um, but there was that that expectation of your. Well, I had you <laughs> to be a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, so to hear that, I think that is going to. I mean, I think that exists or, you know, that's one of the stereotypes that, that's out there. But to hear you say it in the way that is so familiar to me, just like, okay, I, I understand where your story is starting and, and how you got here. Exactly. Also, my parents did not teach us Spanish growing up because they, um, they, they didn't teach us Spanish growing up because they felt that they didn't want us to, they didn't want people to treat us differently mm-hmm. if we had an accent or if we said words the wrong way. And so a hundred percent, I think setting it up that way was beautiful. You can keep going. No, I mean, like, and I just, again, we're trying to like add nuance to this to basically say like doing this research has just been part of me trying to explore my identity and, and, that being a part of the journey of understanding race in America. And I think to the point you guys are making, like understanding it globally, like where did these immigrant groups come from? What have they experienced? Because there are similarities between, you know, the different groups that have come to the U.S. and Asians and the different, you know, races within being Asian. So all this is basically just to say, like, I've done some research and I will talk to you about it now, but I am a newbie and I invite other people to be newbies and questions, I think at this point and in this space are never going to be stupid. So um, the point being, so yes. So what we did is basically, and I don't think that this is going to be unfamiliar with an advertising or corporate America. Um, May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Um, There are not a lot of places that celebrate that or commemorate it. And I think that's- Although there will be this year, I promise you that. There will brace yourself. Oh, listen, add your AAPI tax if you need to for any speaking engagements. But go ahead. No, no, you're right. It will be it will be happening this month. Um, It'll be interesting to see what's not food related, because that's the nearest and dearest thing that people are going to ask. Right. I don't want to see any colored squares on Instagram and because it's not going to be. It's not okay. It's going to go one way when we're talking about AAPI and it's going to be the wrong way. So wrong, wrong way. Um, So, I mean, one, like, so Essence is amazing. POC at Essence is amazing. Um, Shout out to Kristen. Shout out to everyone who makes that group. Derek Green, who's not there anymore. Shout out to Lindsay Wells. Shout out to just everyone who made that group wonderful. Um, Essence is also very special because it has an Asian woman as its global CEO. So Kyoko Matsushita is, is the CEO currently. So that was exciting for us because when it came to figuring out like, what are we going to do for APAM? We had a CEO to speak to. Um, but to try and put together more content, me and Joanne Suk, who's no longer at Essence, um, a Korean American woman who's really wonderful, we put together this presentation kind of covering just any Asian topics that we sort of wanted to touch on. So in in this presentation, Joanne did a really amazing deep dive into Korean American culture and the way it was sort of exported here to the U.S. as like sort of a diplomatic power. Um, I can't speak to that because I'm not Korean, but um, and I also didn't do that research. But the research that I did was based on two sections, one called um, Are Filipinos Asian? 
which I think should kind of open the door to like the level of nuance that I think everyone is welcome to explore. Um, that was sort of based on any kind of experience I had both with Asian people and with white people and other races about whether Filipinos were Asian American or whether they were Pacific Islander or whether they identified as, as, as being just straight Filipino. Um, and then the other part of that was kind of around the same time I was doing this research. Um, every couple of years, Tinder, Match, et cetera, will will publish studies around sort of racial diversity on their platforms. And again, we were talking about Asian Bay and um, I think it's Asian men and black women who typically face the most discrimination on digital dating platforms. But we had Asian Bay and we were all still really hyped up from Henry Golding on Crazy Rich Asians. So rather than talking about say, sexualization and orientalization of, of Asian American women, we were actually talking about the sexualization of Asian American men and how that really represented us coming on um, over the last, I don't know, 100 years more of, of what Asian men and Asian women could be in American culture. So those were the two sections that I've done research on. I have learned more about the Asian community since then, but that's sort of how we got into this conversation. And I'm happy to talk about kind of either parts of those because they both kind of get into representation and media and sort of what we're getting into today. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think that's perfect setup. And I, and, and I think... Even even through talking about the sexualization of Asian people, be it men or women, I think has a lot to do with the recent uh, violence that we're seeing in the media. I, I and obviously, like the the biggest one we can talk about right now is the you know truly sad and tragic um, mass murder that happened in Atlanta, Georgia at, uh, I believe it was eight massage parlors, um, where, where, or there were several massage parlors where eight women, where, where eight people were actually murdered um, at these Asian-owned massage parlors. And I think the challenge that people have is kind of like separating sexualiz sexualization of these Asian businesses or these people within these Asian businesses from um, hate a hate crime as yeah. if somehow a sex crime can't be a hate crime. And I think that that's even more nuanced from my perspective in the Asian community, because like, even as we talk about dating, I think dating is just like the perfect silo to have the conversation. It's like preferences and how do we think about people and how do we stereotype them and how do we stereotype their women and how do we stereotype their men? So I'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts, your research, your insight about what that has looked like for the Asian community. And then we can kind of yeah. go in with questions from there. Totally. So I think a good way to to situate this is um, in doing some research for this and trying to figure out like how to talk about the attacks in Atlanta. Um, a Stop AAPI Hate started doing reporting on this back in March of 2020. And I think their report in February, the the number of attacks had been, I think something around 3,800 attacks that were racially motivated in the US. That is only a 15% increase on the year prior. So just before we kind of get into this, the number of attacks on Asian Americans has been high and it has been tied to, you know, Trump rhetoric and also just other stereotypes that kind of come along with it. Um, another thing that I would cite is just, um, 
I love Bowen Yang. I think he's amazing. And when he did his SNL um, weekly update, one of the things he mentioned was you can't talk about these attacks and not talk about class and not talk about gender and not talk about imperialism. So I think those are two really like helpful facts to kind of think about as we go into this. But then even more, when I was sort of looking at what, what was going on. So if you've been in the AAPI community over the last year, attacks of this kind have been going on, like, and they've been in my social media and they've been in AAPI news literally every week. Um, people getting spit on, shouted at, beaten up. Um, here in New York, doctors and scrubs were getting pushed around on the subway as they were going to work. Um, it's just been something that's been simmering away since the very beginning of, of the entire thing. And yes, this had to do with Kung flu and China virus and Wuhan virus. Um, but also tied to like a steady drumbeat of anti-Asian hate that's been coming out of the White House since 2016 because Trump has had this really sort of high profile, like quite frankly, dick measuring contest with Xi Jinping in China. And so everything around that has kind of just come, come out of it. But then when, when you do the double click, so the New York Times published this week this, this deep dive into just a number of attacks that they looked at. A number of the comments that come out that help us understand what a hate crime is. So a hate crime is motivated and the way that you try and prove it is around if someone said something specific to race, right? And looking at these attacks, I think they profiled something like 300 different attacks. You caused the virus, Asians are dirty, go back home to China, go back home. Those are the comments that come up again and again and again and again. And as much as they are tied to Kung flu, to Wuhan virus, to the China virus, to words that Donald Trump is saying that are completely ridiculous and completely racist, they're tied to these longstanding tropes and stereotypes that we have had about Chinese people and Asian Americans and Asian immigrants in this country for, for years, going back to um, Asian peril, going back to, you know, um, policies that restricted Asian women from migrating at the same time as their husbands were migrating, yep. um, going into just like propaganda that was going around in cities about Asian women being prostitutes and spreading STIs and STDs. Um, so to your point, there are layers. And the other thing that I just wanted to finish on before we kind of, you know, start talking about it is when I was looking at the timeline and sort of for me, last week was a really heavy week. Um, I don't think that's new to anyone on this call or anyone listening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Weeks being pretty freaking heavy. Mm -hmm. uh, if I look at March alone, um, Subakar Kata was a Nepalese Uber driver who was coughed on, pepper sprayed, um, and attacked by his riders when he asked them to wear a mask in San Francisco. Um, on March 11th, Pak Ho, a 75-year-old man from Hong Kong, was killed in a robbery in Oakland. On the 16th, we had the Atlanta attacks. On the 17th, Xiao Jinxi and uh, Nakfam were attacked in San Francisco. Xiao Jinxi is the grandma who fought back and recently donated her entire GoFundMe earnings back to the AAPI community. Um, on the 23rd of March, Mohammed Anwar, a 66-year-old Pakistani Uber driver, was killed in DC after his car was hijacked. Um, and then on the 31st, Vilma Kari, a 65-year-old Filipino woman, was attacked in broad daylight in, in New York City and just left to suffer outside of an apartment building as a security guard closed the door on her. So, you know, when we when we think about these attacks, it's tied to, you know, Donald Trump and his anti-China rhetoric, but it's also something that's spread across AAPI. This is a Nepalese driver. This is a Hong Kong man. This is Korean Americans. This is a Chinese Americans, Vietnamese Americans. This is a Pakistani Uber driver. It's a Filipino woman. Um, so this goes wide and deep. And, and the idea of permission to be racist towards Asian people, I think, is tied into Donald Trump's wider rhetoric around, you know, non-white people are not OK. 
And mm-hmm. how you deal with non-white people is fine because no one is American if they're not white. A hundred percent. I agree. I think, you know, what's important to know is that, you know, it is, it is the, the fallacy of white supremacy that is at the crux of all of this. And this concept that somehow anything un-American looking, whatever the fuck that means, or anything un uh, or anything that's quite frankly, um, anyone that that is Asian apparent, Asian appearing might be weak. And I think that that is that is some of the rhetoric that comes out of, of you know, all these hateful messages that came from the last uh, administration that has forced a lot of people, including other people of color, to think that these are people that you can just trample on that, you know, a person like you, Stephanie, or a person like me or, or anybody, you know, to believe that you are better than enough to cause physical harm because somehow you are better than or stronger than is just, it's ignorance at its best. It's because you're not socialized properly in this community. It's because you don't have, you're not educated enough about who these people are and what they bring you know, and, and I think that that's really important for us to talk about. Like, like these are people at the end of the day, they are still people and they're people being targeted because there is a narrative being told about them that is completely untrue. I mean, I think, you know, when you mentioned white supremacy, one of the things that always, that I always think about are, you know, what are the sort of poles that hold it up and one of them is is scarcity and it's it's this idea of fear and so with that it's like in order for somebody in order for quote-unquote americans to win somebody has to lose Uh, i think that's a big part of why it's it's i think it's been easy for some people of color who've subscribed to white supremacy to not see themselves or see the humanity in asian americans because this rhetoric of they cause this this issue is the reason why everybody is losing. So I, I wonder if if you could expand on in your research, um, why do you why do you or if you have the answer, but um, the you mentioned that the the rise that there has been consistent violence against Asian Americans that has been ongoing. Why do you think there wasn't as much um, uh, of an conversation, a conversation around it last year. I know I remember hearing it, but I, I just think it's one of the most unfortunate things about American culture is like so many people have to die for conversations to like really catch full steam. What do you think is part of the reason why we haven't had these like really detailed conversations about? what the Asian American experience is in this context? So I think there's, there's basically, there's two things that come to my mind immediately. Like one is that when we are having these conversations, like I think it's, it's been really easy to kind of like, like, or for, for it's, it's really easy to kind of say it's white supremacy when I think someone made a point recently, and I, I can't remember where I read this, where it was like, the issue that we need to deal with is not just white supremacy, but it's also decentering whiteness and sort of dealing with like colorism as well in this country. And that's not to say that white supremacy isn't a problem, but the way that it ends up trickling down into kind of other parts of society, it's just that like, it might not be white supremacy, but it might be that whiteness is the thing. And that's the only thing from which people derive value. And then from that, people of color 
you know, we deal with colorism and we have to kind of go, okay, like if you are light skinned, you're not really having a problem. If you're dark skinned, you're having a problem. And that's something we can, we can start to talk about. So for example, even when, you know, I was on social media and people were talking about the Atlanta attacks, white people and AAPI people were going, okay, let's be really clear about who this is. It's just, you know, it's, 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 poor Asian immigrants. These aren't your Microsoft engineers. These aren't your, you know, your, your Chinese doctors or whatever. And it was kind of this point where it was like, okay, so if you are, you know, a certain color of Asian and you're in a certain class echelon, like anything that you're experiencing is not a problem. And then you're down here, like, and that's not to say that like, you know, these, you know, I don't want to overgeneralize, but it's also sort of like, we, we just like chop up and even within the AAPI community, you know, people were going, this isn't about Pacific Islanders. This is about Asians. This Mm. isn't about, you know, Koreans. This is about Chinese people. And it's, I think to your point, Sim, um, this idea of scarcity, there's only so much bandwidth that people have. There's only so much breath that you're allowed to take up and there's only so much space to have a conversation. So, you know, I think Mm -hmm. one, one, it's just, I think it's just like these, it's all these things and I'm not being very succinct, but it's sort of like there's decentering of whiteness and there's kind of accepting that like suffering and issues happen on all these different levels and the energy and the bandwidth to talk about it is at different points. So the conversation around API hate for the last year in 2020 was like, the media doesn't want to talk about this. The media doesn't want to pick up on this. And then of course, people want to put the spin on it and be like, oh, it's because we can only talk about Black Lives Matter. We can't talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. But really that's a media situation of trying to pit one one group of color against another. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen this, but like in some social media channels, there were people attacking you know, attacking black celebrities for not taking a stance on this mm-hmm. and kind of turning it into, okay, let's do like the black on Asian thing. Um, and I always, my favorite kind of example of this was, I don't know if you remember a few years ago here in New York, when there was the whole kind of kerfuffle over the testing to get into the elite public schools. Mm-hmm. And it was like black people versus Asians and Asians versus Mexicans. And AOC came out and was like, this is what they want us to do. They want us to fight over scraps and to come at this from a scarcity mindset and fight each other so we don't fight them. And I do feel like I need to step back and be like, I am half white. Like, I can't sit here and be like, I'm not involved in this somehow. But I do think that there's a lot of credence to this this notion of like, let's let's operate in a scarcity mindset so that we just pit people of color against each other. And we don't deal with it in the wider media. I think it's, it's interesting So you brought up something that I wasn't necessarily ready to have that conversation about, but I think it's, it's really important. So the first thing that I'll say is I believe that the argument needs to center white support. Like we have to vilify the white supremacy, but I love what you're saying about the, in, in, the context of our conversations or the conversations of the others or, or the them as that movie is coming out. Shout out to, to Deborah, uh, Howard University stand up, but like the, the, the others that are having conversations and trying to figure out how to build wealth and legacy and, and, and enterprise and, and estates in this country where there is so much wealth available to every, like there are people that control 90% of the economy, which means that if we just tried a little bit to can maybe take, maybe not take, but redistribute to, to reallocate 
okay, to reallocate funds more proportionately, we just need to focus on prioritizing the others. How do we prioritize the others in in converse in general conversation while vilifying white supremacy and white suprem- supremacy rhetoric and white supremacy actions and 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 institutions and processes because otherwise to your point we're going to believe you are my enemy. It was it was very conflicting to a lot of uh people in my network and community where they were like, well, I don't, I don't know what to say on behalf of an Asian community that I don't interact with. And so outside of, yeah, no, I do think it's terrible that violence is happening. The fact that your point, like, well, why isn't the black community riding with everybody? And it was kind of like, okay, why don't we have a conversation about why why aren't people of the communities that this is happening to or people that are of the communities that are doing this to people aren't the ones standing in solidarity and that could be anyone that's not just race racially charged it's like you can't expect everyone to take up everyone's cross and that's what we do when we bucket everything as people of color and bipoc and they're all the same the conversation is about how do we bring all communities to the table to live their individual truths in the same way mainstream cisgendered white men have always of 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 uh, Eastern European backgrounds, Western European backgrounds, other backgrounds have always been allowed to do. You've always been allowed to be English. You've always been allowed to be Irish. You've always been allowed to be Czech. You've always been allowed to be Serbian in this country. And, and not to say that you don't have challenges in those countries because caste is real globally. A caste system will take anyone out globally. But when you come to the United States, there is a cover that race provides, that apparent race provides to people that allows some people to move through certain levels of so, uh, of being socialized in a way that's less complex and, and with less tension than those of us who are visibly not like cisgendered white men. And so if, in my opinion, we don't need to focus on well, why isn't, why didn't they, why didn't, I didn't see Asian people standing with Black Lives Matter. That's not, that's not who we're fighting. What's the quickest way to move the conversation away from the thing it's really about? Let's like, let's diffuse, let's we're put them all in- Spider-Man pointing at each other in circles. Exactly. Like, and I think, you know, and that's not a, that's not a representation in media that I covered necessarily in this presentation. Like, but I do think that, you know, the, the longer we're having this conversation, the more evolved this dialogue becomes, it's really important to recognize like misdirection is mm-hmm. as unproductive as misrepresentation. And recognizing it as misdirection. Yeah. Recognizing it as so. You know, when you, when you talk about identifying white supremacy as the target, you know, those are the byproducts of it that need to be talked about. You know, these, the conquering divide or the, or the redirection of, of topics to make it more, um, uh, I don't know why the word is like polite, if you will. Mm. I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, when we started off talking, you know, 
you mentioned the the idea of you know Asian parents uh, or Asian communities, um, you know, assimilating, right? And so I'm wondering if, and this this may be my own ignorance, this may be my own social media feed. Um, are there very explicit conversations that are happening within the Asian community that are not bubbling up to the the surface? Because I feel like, you know, to Kai's point of, you know, being one of those people, I was like, I, I, I don't know what to say, right? Um, if at this point, if somebody wants to have a conversation about, you know, the trans community, I can have somewhat of a detailed conversation about that because those conversations are bubbling up to the top. So I'm wondering if if there are like really explicit conversations that were happening before. I mean, you may not know this or, or but because I'm, for me, I'm really trying to make sure that, you know, we're not uh, digital activists, if you will, that we're able to activate in a way that is real and tangible. Because I feel like change happens when all of us have the right information to like move in um, in unison and fuck some shit up for real. So I'm wondering if those conversations are happening or if you know where those conversations are happening that where we can sort of point myself and then also people who are listening who had that sort of pause when things went down to educate themselves in a more uh, effective way? That's a great question. <laughs> First of all, I feel like there's probably a bunch of different answers than that. I think, um, you know, I, I'm laughing because I, I talked to a couple of, you know, a couple of my API friends and I was sort of like, I'm going to go on this podcast. I'm really nervous about it. I don't really know if I have the expertise to speak yes. on this, right? And, and, and the, there's two resounding things that came back, right? One was, of course you do. And the more you talk about it, like the more it means that change is happening. So like having this conversation at all is a big thing. Like it was, it's definitely, and sorry, the other thing that came up was someone was like, if you talk about Asians being meek and the model minority on this podcast, I'm going to kill you. But like, you can't not have that conversation, right. which is sort of like, um, so at like, like stereotypes that have existed for a million years are just like, you know, Asian men and women are kind of meek. They're kind of quiet. They're kind of subservient. And those come from different things. Those come from, you know, portrayals in Hollywood. Those come from um, stereotypes that have been perpetuated specifically to keep Asian communities down. Um, and so when I say like, you know, when people are like, I don't want you to talk about it, it's because we want to try and like most AAPI communities and conversations that I have been involved with, and there are more than just the ones that I've been involved with, um, want to move on and kind of like, to your point, get into the nitty gritty, get into the nuance, get into, um, you know, I think Kai, even the way you set it up at the beginning, where it's like, I want to see people in like, not just in DEI roles, like we want to see people like in positions of power, moving this conversation forward. Like the conversation is like, how do we not dwell on the way we were perceived in the past, and we can kind of just get into spaces of, of development and power in the future. But to your point, if you want to have those conversations, how do you situate yourself in a place that feels like you've been slightly educated, right? So, or not educated, like you've, you've done a bit of research and you have some context. So I think when, you know, when we refer to this thing like class, gender, imperialism, it's really interesting. So, so one of the things that we the talked imperialism about- imperialism piece is so important. <sighs> It's like people like you don't when you said imperialism in the beginning, my heart, my, my heart beat, you know, I felt like it was a connection because 
people don't people don't understand that that's where a lot of this infighting yeah. within other communities comes from. It yeah. is from the imperialism. And even the conversation about, quote unquote, the model minority comes from the concepts and context of modern day imperialism. It comes from the concept of, well, I'll let you speak to it, but like, I think, I think it's so important to talk about that because there's historical context as to why it's easy to pit people who identify as Black and people who identify as Asian against each other. Yeah. And it's all rooted in imperialism. And, and it's crazy, like thinking about, you know, the, the examples that always come to my mind are so very prevalent in this country is the idea of the war bride. So the U.S. had these military bases in, in the Pacific Islands. And, you know, I mean, even like my parents went to Tennessee in like 94, 92. And my mom, who has a law degree and who was a very successful prosecutor, <laughs> was in a 7-Eleven. And she was like overlooking at the magazines. And my dad was waiting for her at the counter. And the guy and the, and the clerk was like, so did you get her a NAM? about a Filipino woman in 92, 94, you know? So the war brides is a big thing. And, and that, yeah. that that's like a recent modern imperialistic structure that's like sort of like a military industrial complex thing. But then the other the other one, and, you know, so I did, a, I took a class on, on in, in, about like, you know, culture in Brazil. And similar to the way that we brought workers over from Asia um, into America, Brazil did the same thing. They had to recruit Japanese workers over, um, to basically just uh, to fulfill industrial projects at the time in the early sort of um, like 1900s. Um, and there was a campaign that ran describing Japanese immigrants as the other white and that that was cool. That was the other white and you should like them because they're the other yeah. white. And so, you know, that's a, in just like two different like kind of situations, you have different immigrant groups coming over and being propagandized to mm-hmm. sort of like domestic culture in different ways. Like it's okay for them to be Asian because they're white Asian, or, you know, you should only see these women as war brides, um, despite the fact that like our military zones mm-hmm. are set up without their will necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, I'm being kind of messy and sort of like my references, but my point being that like. But you're not. And I, I want to stop you from like. Going <laughs> away because you're not being messy. It's being truthful, right? We're called mixed company because it's important for us to have like that part of the conversation here. Because even I'm listening to you speak and I'm like, man, look at what you're saying. You're talking about marketing. You're talking about marketing products. Yeah. And how we've marketed races as products. And how that has been done in the 20, in the 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries is that Asian people, Asian Americans, Asians, Asians of the, the actual Asian continent are products. They are for entertainment. They were for um, sexual fantasy. They were for um, uh, utility actual like construction and utility they you know the Panama Canal in addition to you know my family came over from the other Caribbean islands Jamaica and Barbados but like many uh, Chinese and Japanese people were brought over to build by Citibank to build the Panama Canal because these were people who felt you know these were these were industrial people who felt these are the people that that are dispens- that they're disposable. It's okay if they die. It's okay if they're eaten by alligators. It's it's all right. We, we we're going home to our families, but they need to build our trains, build our canals, 
build our ships, build our countries, build our men (laughs) so that everybody else can be happy. And like, that is the business that we are in. Historically, our business propaganda is the word like in Spanish that I've always used to describe what I work in as advertising (laughs) propaganda, (laughs) right? Like that is what we do. And so it's important to hear you say that. And it's the, it's the, it's the research you've done. It's the conversations you have amongst your own communities. And and it's important for other people to get a glimpse into, into those conversations. I appreciate that. And I think, you know, and one, I appreciate you just kind of like recentering me in that. And also just like, it's messy because as soon as you crack this open, the shit is super, is super messy, you know, like, like even we're talking about kind of like imperialism abroad, but I'm to, to kind of try and like square it in some of the research, like the census and the way we categorize people and we, we, we let them categorize themselves here in the U S like that taps into just like a whole other strand. So I guess, um, by the 1980s, it's only when, um, like the census still was grouping people of Asian heritage and created Asian Pacific Islander, which continued into the 1990s. And then in 2000, Asian and Pacific Islander only became two separate racial groups. So like, that's the only way you're allowed to be counted. And then to, to to try and reground this and like your point, like, the it, the research that I did was around um, the classification of Filipinos in the U.S. So you know we t- we're talking about marketing. So like how do we how do we get people to acculturate like just socially? But then how do governments let people kind of classify themselves? So part of the reason that there was confusion over whether Filipinos were Asian, whether they were American, whether they were you know Pacific Islander, is because of the way we one brought them into the country. To the the laws that we set up to let them do what kind of work. So the reason that people perceive Filipinos to be kind of like service workers or like, you know, like just like nurses as opposed to doctors, for example, just like in the nuance of Asian culture is around rules like the Tidings McDuffie Act or um, I'm trying to, 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 to scan my notes really quickly, but like just other acts that sort of like classified whether they could be immigrants, whether they could be Commonwealth and whether they could be Americans and how many of them could be Americans. And then from those laws, like how we went about recruiting them into this country. So the U.S. went to the Philippines, started education programs that were only within sort of like one level of the medical sphere and then let people immigrate that way. Um, You know, it's it's we market it, we categorize people and we only let them get so far. And and that is and really that is America in a nutshell. <laughs> right? And, and like, that like what you just said there is America in a nutshell. We find them, we educate them, and we only let them get but so far. And then we have people, poor whites, uh, uh, people identify as black, people identify as the you know the different sects of of Asian communities, pointing well you know, well, this doesn't happen to, to Asian doctors because we're af- that we're affluent. And so this is really for like the, the, the poor workers. No, it is about all of us because all like all of us are a product and all of us deserve to be seen as people who deserve to, to have fruitful lives that go beyond just what the, you know, the, you, the, the, our country's What's the best way to say this? That goes beyond what our country's uh, rooted issues want us to develop into. Like we're bigger than Asian Asian American people are bigger than the stereotypes. They're you know like you as I know you are an an amazing thought leader, a, a, a very driven uh, marketer, 
um, obviously someone who loves and cares about you. I mean, you're on the auntie, like you answer the auntie line, like anybody, <laughs> like, you know how hard, you know how, you know how you don't be wanting to answer those texts. I'm like, oh my God, I mean, what are you doing? It's 10 o'clock. I'm at work. Like I'm supposed to be, you know, that's like a loving, caring woman, a second generation American mixed race, you know, uplifting both sides of your family. Like you, de- you as a person deserve to be seen in that kind of light. Not just as oh she's Asian girl, mixed girl, <laughs> white girl. Like it's 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 it goes beyond that, and I think that's so important. I think it's so important in these conversations. And you know the other thing about this conversation being important is one um, for anybody listening, we're not going to be able to answer everything in in this session. But you know this I you know you saying that this is messy, and I I one I like I'm so in alignment with it because. At the end of the day, white supremacy is messy, right? And we, once we understand how messy it is and how much it impacts so much of our lives, um, even the things that we don't even think about on a day-to-day basis, we start, at least for myself, start to realize that it's important that we have more of these messy conversations because the nuance, especially us being in marketing, we need to understand the nuance, right? We need to understand the, the different ways that white supremacy has influenced our perception of Asian Americans, even if we don't think that we're anti-Asian, which is like the, which is why I think this, this conversation is important. And that when I mentioned trans earlier, you know, I think it's a good, not necessarily uh, parallel, but, you know, many of us struggled with, you know, pronouns two, three years ago because it wasn't a part of the conversation. And the more people kept having this conversation, the more it's like, motherfucker, get your shit together, right? Like this person acts to be addressed this way. So to be able to start to unpack the messiness, and I think where it's going to be happening over time, but it's going to help me do my job better, um, but also just help people treat Asian Americans more like humans that are dynamic individuals that have nuances to their stories. So um, wh- what do you think, and and I hate to ask this of you because I, I would hate somebody access to me, but like... <laughs> I mean, I'm going to do a Kevin Powell, then don't ask it. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, because I think this is the first of many conversations. So in, in your in your humble opinion, in your life, where would you start to point people and say, like, this is the direction that I think you should go, right? So if somebody was asking me this, I would say, well, follow Black people, right? Listen to Black people, listen to Black women, make sure that your timeline is diverse, which is something that I'm going to put on myself as well. But where do you think this conversation should head um based off of your research and how should people start to, uh, I guess, be more intentional with their actions if they're really trying to be a part of the solution? I mean, I think you've really hit on it. It's like diversify your timeline, like, cause our feed or whatever we're going to call it. Cause like, that's, whatever that's social media, you that, are. whatever, like diversify your feed of whatever it is, like whatever your media diet is like, try and diversify that. And, and I think the, the double click on that and and part of what we tried to get to. So in the original presentation, it was sort of like women can only be sexy and men can only be funny and ridiculous. And then we saw a flip and it was like, men can be sexy and women can be funny and ridiculous, but they can never be both. Mm -hmm. And I, 
No, I've mentioned it like three times, but I just think it was just so friggin' genius. Like Bowen Yang's like SNL update when he was talking about, you know, oh, you cried when you watched Minari. I was crying into my boner for Steven Yoon. Like the fact that you can like go on. No, I mean like, and and I'm lifting that up. It's a good one. It's It's such a good one. Or like, you know, Asian grannies right at dawn. Like I'm lifting it up because it's sort of like, you know, I don't think anyone needs to necessarily be precious. You can be respectful, but also it's like, this is meant to be like kind of messy and like go and like diversify your feed, but then also be like, it doesn't have to be just the one thing. Like part of the reason I lift up Bowen Yang, he's a comedian and he's an activist. Olivia Munn is, you know, kind of like an Instagram it girl, but she's really involved and she tries and lift people like lift to lift people up. Um, Shay Mitchell, who's, you know, she's she's Filipino, she's Canadian, she's arguably like the like Instagram influencer, but she's trying to lift up, you know, BPOC businesses. She's trying to like kind of make people, you know, increase visibility of BPOC businesses, women, people, influencers. Um, and she's still just, you know, trying to get paid for like, you know, selling her own to drinks. Like right. it's okay to kind of like not. And I, I say this from me, me as a mixed race person trying to explore what it is to like be getting it wrong and trying to understand how to get it right in the U S like be, be okay with being a little bit messy with it. As long as you're respectful. Um, I think that's what I would say. And I think it starts with the feed. That's the easiest place. There's some links that I can try and find. There's some great articles. Um, Gia Tolentino wrote Trick Mirror. She's a Filipino-American writer. It is one of the most genius book of essays that I have read in a long time. I would lift that up. Um, I would lift up Kara Brown, who's an amazing journalist, and she runs her book club. Um, I think it was Internal or Interior Chinatown is the book of the month last month. That was really amazing. Her discussions are always brilliant. I have that on my Sunday to-do list this weekend. But like people who are reaching out and trying to find identity and culture and politics and everywhere else, like that's that's where I would start. Just like get messy with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. And I think, you know, even you talking about discovering your your identity in the midst of all this messiness, even I identify with that shit because there the unpacking of understanding how white supremacy has influenced so much of the way that we think, uh, even as people of color, even as somebody who's proud of proud of my background, is like it's it's a never ending journey. For all of us, I think um, adding on to what you were saying, Steph, I'm, uh, you know, as, a, as I was looking through the presentation, the thing that stuck with me last year and sticks with me again um, is that you guys included in your in your presentation a quote from Queen and Slim um, speaking about, you know, what it means to be excellent and why can't we just be normal and, and calling out the um, the privilege that so many people have to be normal. Like when you think of stereotyping non-Black Indigenous people of color, what is the stereotype? Like the stereotype is just regular. They're just regular while, you know, and, and speaking as an outsider, if you look at, if I look at what stereotypes come to mind for the Asian community, it's like, oh, they're good at math. Oh, you know, or, um, uh, uh, you know, super funny or, um, you know, they work in domestic settings, like things like that, domestic or or food settings. And it's like, or they're just regular ass people that live in the suburbs or in the city and like just live regular ass lives and just do regular ass things like everybody else. And they just happen not to look like you. 
the same way as Black people can be just as regular and just happen to not look like you. And so I think like the reason why it was important for us to start our conversation about stereotypes and your research and introducing you and bringing you onto the show is because it's important to show that kind of privilege. Like we j- we're just people that want to have a regular ass conversation and like be here for our communities and uplift them and get other people to uplift them. But we can't see them as, oh yeah, you ain't know she got a perfect score on her SATs also. Like that, like, I don't know if you did, but you know, if you did, congratulations. But also, <laughs> probably not. I was like, you know, throwing a dart on the board. Like I just I love it. throw it out there with the way, you know, like statistics work. You probably didn't. And you're probably, you're probably just as as we would consider ourselves normal, you, your family members, your experiences would be considered normal with probably some fun twists and turns in, in between, but like. Everybody isn't a stereotype. They're just regular as people. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, like, that was the whole thing with, like, so Randall Park, when he was in WandaVision, and he was just like, it's just Randall Park being mm-hmm. CIA, like, you know, in WandaVision. And it was like, that's a big win. That's that was a, a big win. win. Or, I mean, you know, I have to lift this up. And then I have actually one more thing I want to lift up. I know we're over time. So, like, edit me out as you as you need. But you're good. Um, I have been talking to every single Asian person I know about um, the HBO series Warrior. And it's basically about like gangs in San Francisco, but it's Irish people versus Asian people. And it was just really exciting because there's like a bunch of like Asian dudes kicking ass and doing Kung Fu, but also talking about racism in a really new and interesting kind of way. Interesting. So, you know, and Perry Young, who is, you know, kind of the old granddaddy in that he was at the protest this week in New York and he was sort of lifting up the fact that like everyone's talking about AAPI hate, but HBO hasn't renewed that series for season three and we all want it. You know so, what? <laughs> you have now. Sorry, go, go. <laughs> no, I was saying what Kai said, you have not because you asked now. So. You have not because you asked now. While we here. HBO. Um, we're, we're waiting on our renewal papers. <laughs> I would be I would be really remiss if I didn't lift that up. But the point of that was, um, and I think you've met her, Kai, Clara Luo, who's, um, you know, she's she was a VP at BAV. She's within the WPP network. And you actually brought this up when we were talking about the presentation and I didn't articulate it. Like, I think the privilege of being normal is really important. But Clara, when I asked her to just like, you know, remind me of stuff that would be interesting, lifted up a quote, but you said this too. And I don't know if this will spark the the memory of it, but she said, a good insight from all of this is that we need to do a better job of inclusion in the cultural creation. Mm -hmm. We allow too much of others to determine how we're portrayed. So, you know, if you're looking for examples, um, you want to find things that were produced, directed, written, talked about by Asian people, by BIPOC people about the BIPOC experience and looking for those things as opposed Mm -hmm. to you know, when we did this original presentation, it was sort of like Hollywood making movies and giving permission to Asian people to make movies about Asian people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talked about this, about, um, we were talking about hip hop specifically, but, you know, in in the time since, like, you know, BPAC people being in the operating, running, executional, strategic roles, whether that's in marketing, advertising, finance, um, or just like in like actual movies, you know, Black people mm-hmm. writing about black people, Mexican people writing about Mexican people, Asians writing about Asians. Like that shouldn't that shouldn't be exciting. That should be the norm. And it's not to say that, you know, your imagination can't allow you to write about other people, but recognizing that there is no way in hell that your story, that my story about 
someone else's culture, my made up story about somebody else's culture is going to be more authentic than, than someone writing it of their own experience. There's no way. You might think it's more entertaining. You might think it's sexier. It'll still fucking be wrong. <laughs> It'll still just be wrong. Something will be wrong with it. So you can do that. And we, we talk about that in advertising all the time where it's like, well, how can you look at this and make sure that we're hitting the mark? Can you just take a look and make sure that we're not being offensive? You know how you wouldn't have to do that? If somebody that that was a part of that damn community was actually a part of it, you wouldn't even have to ask me. We wouldn't even be here. And recognizing it it might still be offensive because people are not a monolith. And so what's not offensive to me might not be might be offensive to somebody else who looks like me. And guess what? That's okay. That's what the conversation is for. That's what the messy is for. That's what mixed company is for. That's that's what community is for. It's about getting it wrong and being able to get it right. But you can't do that when you're deliberately wrong. You can't do it when you lead from a place of hate. And you can't do it when your only perspective is about what somebody else told you about a people and not what you've experienced for yourself. And so, Steph, we're going to go ahead. I know we've been here a while and, and our conversation, it feels like it's gone many places. And I want you to know that is perfect because that's what happens when we start conversations. That's what happens when, when, you, when you first meet somebody. It's our first date. It's our first date. So we had to get to know where you're from, what are your, how old are your parents, how much money do they make, what are your interests, your favorite color, and then also do you want to go out again? Like, that's what this is. Yeah. But thank you for giving us the the, the privilege and the pleasure of, of talking to you and getting to know you in this way. Um, shout out to your auntie hotline. Let oh. them know we're here for it and keep the news coming. We want to know. We want to know, too, what, what's going on. Um but also if people want to reach out to you and people want to have conversations with you and explore dialogue with you, are you on social media? Are you on LinkedIn? You got an email address. How can people reach out to you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Stephanie Rickards. Um, that's the best place to find me because I'm not au fait enough with social media yet, okay. but, <laughs> but like you can get me there um, and I'll, I'll respond to messages. That's definitely the best way, but awesome. Um, and I appreciate you. And I think to the point of this being a first date, I'd be lying if I didn't say like, you know, I stalked your feed. And the thing that I keep thinking oh. about is always like, when we think about representation, but like, I remember you were talking about access. And so I think there's a difference between access and authorship and agency. And I want to just like try and tidy that up by being like, authorship and agency mean calling it in mm-hmm. and, you know, getting your fair dues for the stuff that you create. And I just always appreciate that coming from you. So thank you. Oh, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We look forward to to continuing this conversation. It's not a one off conversation, um, but I hope you guys enjoy your very special AAPI month because you know how we do in this industry. They're going to try to make it up to you. So get your things. Get get all of your things. (laughs) Make sure you that there will be budget this year. So get all of your things. Make sure you do that. (laughs) Oh man. And with that, you guys already know where to find us, how to listen to us. Um, it's Mixed Company Podcast uh, on, on the website. We're Ask Mixed Company on the socials. We're on all the platforms that you can find a podcast. That's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and maybe some others. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. Steph, thanks for joining. 
Thank you. Sim, thanks for making it through. Uh, and we'll be back with another episode later this month. Peace out. Thank you. Bye.